All right, psychology nerds, and welcome to another episode of Psychology and Stuff, the podcast out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, one of the hosts of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here as always with my co-host. She is the chair of the UW Green Bay Psychology Program, an environmental psychologist and statistician. Also, my pal is Dr. Georgina Wilson Dengis. How's it going, G? It is going great. You added stuff to my like intro there. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I am now like more official. Thanks for the, the shout out to being an environmental psychologist and a statistician. I feel like you just elevated me. Thanks. Oh, wow. Well, I was just, um, I was, I was trying to play around with it because I didn't want to just say the same thing I always say. So yeah, usually you're my friend. This time you were my pal. That is, um, I don't know if that's higher or lower status. Like, what is? What do you think? Is friend better or worse? Than... I feel like pal is way worse than friend. Oh, okay. Like, like I, I feel like hmm, uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't, I don't really particularly like pal. So okay. if you could go back to chum. friend, but you can. How about chum? Is that? Oh yeah, that's better. You know, you know how I feel about sharks. So. Chum yes. is really like a a compliment. Like you're gonna throw me <laughs> off the boat, kind of compliment. Yes. I don't really find that a compliment. Okay, but, no, I hear that. Know, like, okay, yeah. If I had to choose between like friend, pal, and chum, I think I'm just gonna be like a coworker. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sounds good. Well, that's dangerous. Did did Jason uh, share with you that I t- accidentally told him I loved him at work the other day? No, that's yeah. I yeah no I was I was walking out of his office and I was just like <laughs> see you later love you uh, yeah I know and then I was like I mean no, <laughs> sorry and then he was like it's fine so I mm-hmm. yeah well did he say it back he has since then. Uh, okay. we- <laughs> So, wow. yeah, well, well, so. I'm kind of sad now, like yeah. well, when you when you end this this episode, <laughs> I best be uh, hearing those words right. or I'm I might right. be quitting. Yeah. This might be the it wow. listeners that this might be my last episode. Yeah. If I don't get some love at the end. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've already heard our guest a few times. I think we should introduce her. Um, Absolutely. She is also someone our listeners know and love. Uh, She's an assistant professor in the psychology program here at UW-Green Bay. She researches adult development and aging with a specific emphasis on health promotion. She focuses on healthy aging in middle age and older adults. She studied adult physical activity engagement, and she's a wizard with statistics. She has a master's and a PhD in lifespan development psychology from West Virginia University. It's Dr. Abby Nearcorn Bailey. How are you, Abby? Hello, I'm great. I love that I'm a wizard. So that's, yes, yes. that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah, no, I think so too. I, I realized as I was putting the intros together that I, I highlighted the fact that both of you are st- statisticians. And so yes. uh, I'm... I'm feeling outnumbered, honestly. Um, <laughs> well, what are the odds go. of that? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> outnumbered. Yes. No, I'm just killing it with the statistics references. So, um, so uh, I, I feel like a nice segue into this, by the way. As I was writing your intro today, I, I was thinking about the fact that I hurt myself last week reading and oh. began became and not just kind of hurt myself but really hurt myself 
and and started to become worried about um uh, i guess health promotion in middle-aged adults uh sure. so yeah so as i was running i was like should i reveal that to her should i tell her that i hurt myself reading <laughs> um now i'm i'm sharing it with not just you but everyone so right yes yeah. well is it was it like a really bad paper cut or <laughs> like what happened i i wish i would that would have been great. I, I was I was standing while I was reading because I was I was recording my audiobook and I was standing for a long period of time. And when I was done, I had done something terrible to my knee that meant oh. that for like three days I was walking with a limp. So much that my kids were actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my no. Oh. Yeah. So it was Yeah, a, that is worse than a paper cut. Yeah. 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 It was it was rough. So yeah. Well, I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. So I bring this up because the last episode you were on, I think, was titled Does Getting Old Suck? Right. Um, sometimes, yes. <laughs> well, maybe we just need to look at things in a little bit of a different way. Yes. Okay. You know, if we're doing things that we're not used to, such as standing for a really long time, you know, maybe that's something that's just a little bit harder on some of our joints. And okay. that could probably happen to, to anybody if we're doing things that we're not used to. Okay. I like that reframe. Yeah. Don't feel yeah. bad. Don't feel I bad. I appreciate <laughs> that reframe. <laughs> that is very, very helpful. Wow. You're so much more positive. The, the rest of us were just mocking him and saying oh. that he had the nerdiest of all yeah. injuries. Like, oh. <laughs> that's, well, I spent. I, I wasn't going to say anything, but no, I'm kidding. No, no, no. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how I was going to tell people I hurt myself in case this was really chronic. Like if this was longer yeah. than two or three days, I needed to come up with something, right? So, sure, sure. And so anyways. It happens. It can happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's get into today's topic, which um, is a... I don't know. I don't necessarily know how to how to kick this off, other than to say I was curious, and um, some other listeners were curious about kind of how emotions change over adulthood. So I sent you, or Georgina sent you, you know, ultimately a very vague, "Hey, can we talk about this? Let's talk about socio-emotional selectivity theory. Let's talk about how emotions change as we age." Um, I don't know. You know what? Why don't we start with that question? What are what are some of the biggies? Like, what are some of the ways that emotions change as we age? Sure. Well, I, I can just kind of take a step here and give a little bit of background on um, Laura Carstensen's theory, uh, SST, as I'm going to say, because it's a lot shorter. Yeah. Um, like so that. the big idea behind the theory is that based on essentially the our perception of our future, we have different um, goals, social goals, different social motivation. And what we see is that generally somebody who is older um, is going to have a little bit of a different future perception than somebody who uh, is a young adult, for example. However, research has been done showing that it's not just chronological age uh, that is a factor. If somebody who is 20 years old has a limited future time, uh, or horizon, then their goals would also change, essentially, uh, Carson's, Carson's theory would, would pose. Um, so we don't just think about it in regards to age, but 
the idea is that with a more limited future perception, um, our goals change for the people that we want to spend our time with, how we spend our time in general, and how we look at what we're doing. Um, so we tend to focus more on spending time with people we have a close connection with. So we're not going to go out and try to make friends with somebody that we don't know. We're not going to go out and try to spend time with acquaintances uh, or do things that we don't really enjoy doing. Um, we're going to really focus on maximizing our time and doing the things we like. Um, and research has been done looking at uh, how people, as they get older, they become more emotionally stable, more balanced, and overall more positive. Um, and we can get into that more, but that's really where it's different from younger adults. They are much more thinking about the future and what that could entail. And so that then brings on this search for um, more information. So looking at all kinds of um, different things they may want to do with their lives, meeting new people, um, experiencing new things. Um, and so that's the difference between the two, just based on, uh, in one way, SST um, and uh, the future time that we have and how we see those differences. So the one article that um, we were reading was talking about a, a study that was done on daily life stressors, which is, uh, I'm sure, like, directly related to emotions uh, at the time, but uh, I was kind of shocked to read the results that said that um, your response to stress actually improves um, as you grow older. How is that related to SST and these other thoughts? Yeah, um, and I think that's a, a great question. So <laughs> uh, I, I think and I agree with the author, they really lay out three specific ways uh, in which we can explain why we see that those daily stressors maybe don't have as much of an impact on older adults. Um, the first, I think, really has to do with um, the social goals that people have. So like I said, um, with SST, the idea is that generally older adults uh, are going to have this larger focus on emotion regulation. Uh, and making sure that they're spending their time the way they want to with whom they want to. Whereas for younger adults, um, it's trying out new things, taking on new roles, uh, meeting new people, all that. The second piece is directly a, a part of SST. So the author of this article then talks about future time perception, which we know is really the central piece of um, Parsonson's theory. And then lastly, they talk about learning to deal with stressors. Um, older adults, generally, they're going to have more years uh, of experiencing maybe some of these daily events that do cause us stress. Um, and so just from that standpoint, they have more practice with it. Um, but also, I think a key piece that I kind of mentioned previously, the fact that as we get older, uh, we become a bit more balanced emotionally, uh, more emotionally stable. I think that's another key piece as to why maybe older adults are not having those daily stressors affect them quite as much. So that probably ties into all three of the reasons that the author lays out as well. 
Yeah, a way I've heard this described is that, you know, you're, people are willing to endure some negative emotions in order to increase resources. But to do that, you've got to see that those resources are going to be valuable, right? You've got to see that those. And so one of the examples I've I've used in class is the idea that like, you know, one of the challenges of being a returning uh, adult college uh, student is that you're, you've got to endure all sorts of, of stress that maybe you've to be a college student. And when you're say 50 years old, it might become or feel less you might be less willing to endure some of that because you don't necessarily see what those benefits are after you're done, right? But when you're in your mm-hmm. 20s and you say, no, this is what I need to do to set myself up for it, right? It, it becomes enduring some of those negative um, stressors feels uh, more relevant. Is that is that a fair description of this? Yeah, probably. Um, you know, especially when we're younger, we might feel... Uh, and we do sense that we have, you know, these long-term sorts of um, goals and just in general, a long time left, um, we're probably more willing to do some of those things that might not be as great. Um, but again, that acquisition of knowledge is a key piece there. And if that's one of our goals, yeah, we might take some of these things we don't love so much, or we endure some things that in general, we might not want to um, for that goal and to get to maybe that next step. Whereas somebody who's older, um, their time horizon is a bit more limited. It might not be as appealing to them. So it might not be as worth it to go through some um, negative things, especially if it's not important to them. I think we were, we took some questions on social media uh, that our listeners were interested in hearing about, and one of them made me think about um, like uh, a stereotype of older folks being maybe like grumpy or or somehow that's related to like the anger emotion or or something mm-hmm. like that. I was also thinking about. Um, filters and how um, there's might be a stereotype that older folks um, have less um, filters when they are, are expressing emotions. And, but that kind of goes against what this research says. It, um, it seems to contradict it. Do you have any thoughts about that? That wasn't a great question that I just asked, but hopefully you can extract something from there. Yes, I think I can. Um, So your first point, just in terms of thinking about older adults uh, as being grumpy uh, or grumpier in comparison to younger uh, people. I, I agree. I think that is an age stereotype. I think it's probably something that's reinforced pretty commonly uh, in TV shows or movies, um, or I don't know, different greeting cards that we see out at the store. And so I think it's something where we've seen it a lot. I mean, I can think of different movies, um, where I've seen that. And it's something that over time we internalize, um, not that we even mean to, but it's just something that we see frequently. And that's how, you know, we essentially get to those sorts of stereotypes and think, that's something um, that is common when it might not be the case. Um, 
so that's my thought on that. I would, I, especially looking at the research, it's really interesting. Um, and we can, we can wait to get into this, um, but just with life satisfaction, generally, we see that life satisfaction increases um, through adulthood, specifically looking at middle age onto uh, late adulthood. And so that really makes me think that we're not necessarily seeing that older adults as a group become grumpier. Um, maybe again, it's how they're displaying it and then how others are um, analyzing it. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what to make of that. However, we do tend to see that in advanced old age, so maybe thinking about like 80s, 90s, we do tend to see that life satisfaction does then dip and so it can decline. Um, so maybe some of those pieces are, are setting in. Uh, I'm still, I'm not going to say that older adults at that point uh, get grumpy, <laughs> um, but there are stressors that uh, play a key role in adults' lives. I mean, just the, the prevalence of chronic health conditions, um, thinking about losing loved ones, there are these uh, issues or these components that are stressors um, for everybody, but we do see it even more so among aging adults too. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I, I hit a stage in my life where I realized that, um, you know, I went through a stage where all my friends were getting married and having kids and graduating from college, not necessarily in that order, but, you know, doing those things. <laughs> and it was, and it was fun, right? It was fun to see all of that good news and things like that. And then I noticed all of a sudden sort of a, a shift in that to all of a sudden when I was starting to hear stories about friends getting sick, friends uh, getting divorced, friends, parents getting sick and things like that. And that it just sort of, it seemed like those things were coming together. And so I, I get what you're saying about like, there are these there are these sort of episodic shifts in our life mm -hmm. that where where it feels like we're, we encounter new types of stressors. Now, I, I imagine at a certain point, we're going to hit like my friends, kids getting married, right? My friends, you know, things like that, that will like a, a new sort of shift in good news um, that, that does play a role in how we feel about things. I think the other piece of this, though, that I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on is a lot of this is about it's 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 there's overall life satisfaction. There's also this the the emotions we kind of invite into our life. Like how do we choose to spend our free time? What do we choose to do? Who do we choose to spend it with? I mean, I use that example of going to school, but it can be as simple as, so full disclosure, I was one of those really obnoxious video store employees once who, um, you know, was judgy of people who came in and rented like The Rock or like stupid, like kind of cookie cutter action movies. Like, why would you do that when there's so many good movies, man? There's awesome stuff to watch. And and like now that I'm older and and like I kind of deal with different kinds of stress throughout my day, at the end of the day, I just want to sit down and watch a stupid action movie, you know, like, I, and, and so sometimes it's about saying like, hey, and, and I think this is a big piece of that, um, like just what we choose to invite in. Do we choose to make ourselves sad by things like that? Do we choose to fight with our, our romantic partner, you know? And mm -hmm. I think that's the, and I, related to that stereotype. I mean, I hear people talk about like 
couples uh, arguing like an old married couple or something like that. But I think actually most of the data says that they don't argue as often as, as right. Couples. Yeah, marital satisfaction actually increases with uh, through adulthood. So um, yeah, again, I think maybe part of that is just these things that we so commonly hear but aren't necessarily supported by the actual data. And I think in general, as adults, well, adults, and then continuing as they get older, um, at least the idea behind SST is that they do become uh, just more strategic in picking those activities that they're doing that are going to make them happy and that are memorable and enjoyable. So kind of what you were talking about, Ryan, um, just they're more selective in that regard. Do you think they, do you think that happens intentionally or is it, uh, maybe the answer is both, but, or is it more, they just sort of gravitate towards, towards more positive activities or how do you think that plays out? Um, that's a good question. And I don't really, I mean, I can answer it, but I, I'm not sure if this is actually supported, uh, in the data, but I would think to some extent, both, um, you know, there could be some awareness that uh, I'm going to go and see my good friends and my kids uh, because I'm really close to them and I enjoy hanging out with them. We have a good time versus I have no desire to go to the neighborhood block party and try to meet these people that I've never met before. So there could be at least some level of, you know, awareness in that regard of what I'm choosing. But then maybe over time, it's, um, you know, just something that we become used to doing and we might not think about it in a step-by-step -step way and think about the fact that, oh, wow, I'm choosing to do these things that I'm enjoying versus the things that really don't have any significance to me. So there might not necessarily always be that level of thought about it or analyzing the things to that extent we might just start doing them and think about, okay, what do I care about doing? And we do it. Um, so I, I, I think a little bit of both, honestly. And I wonder, um, like when you were saying, like you, you're choosing not to do things that don't uh, spark joy, like as uh, Marie Kondo would say, <laughs> I, I wonder if that might contribute to the perception of being grumpy is that the people who get selected out because maybe they're not super fun to be around um, are the people who are reacting in that way and, and perceiving the person as grumpy because they're choosing not to spend their time with that particular person. I never really thought about it that way, but. Yeah. I haven't either, but I, I think that could happen. And then it just become this self-fulfilling prophecy and all of a sudden there's deemed to be grumpy. <laughs> but I think I think there there could be some truth to that. I think that makes sense. So could you take us through earlier today, I emailed, or maybe it was yesterday, I emailed a bunch of questions. And I do want to just go through those and see if we answered them or if we have any any thoughts on any of them. Before we do, I was curious, because you responded with a really uh, thoughtful email about kind of the U-shaped trajectory. And I know you touched on it a little earlier, but could you walk us, uh, the listeners, through that, that U-shape? Absolutely. So when it comes to life satisfaction, uh, there have really been two sides that researchers have been on support for, one of two. Uh, for 
many years, uh, researchers saw from the data and believed that life satisfaction essentially went through this U-shaped trajectory, where early on in life, uh, life satisfaction is decently high, um, same through teenage years. But then once we get closer to middle age, we really dip down and life satisfaction is going to be at that low point. Uh, and that was explained in a variety of ways that do make sense. I mean, in general, we know that middle-aged uh, adults are considered the sandwich generation. They're oftentimes caring for their children, as well as potentially providing care for their aging uh, parents. Uh, it can be a tough time with jobs, with doing different things for family and personal life. So there was support for this and why it could have this U-shape. Uh, and then getting out of middle age, you then go back up uh, and get better or have better life satisfaction. However, however, other researchers then said, mm, I, I don't support this. It doesn't seem as though it is this U-shaped trajectory. And uh, in general, it seems as though these other data are suggesting life satisfaction um, is more stable across the lifespan. And if anything, you know, maybe we then have this dip at the or near the end or um, uh, in advanced older adulthood, um, but that in general, it's not this U-shape. And so this has brought about a lot of uh, discussion about what, what is it? What trajectory do we have with our life satisfaction? Uh, and so I was reading this uh, recent article is from 2022. Um, and it really suggested that maybe some of the issues as to why we're seeing a U-shape as well as other studies showing more stability with life satisfaction is having to do with the type of data itself. So are we looking at cross-sectional data? Are we looking at longitudinal data? With the cross-sectional data, uh, we were consistently seeing that U-shape, I believe it was, um, with the cross-sectional data. Um, and then also thinking about control variables and which control variables were being included into these models. And so the idea was that once uh, we include some of these important control variables, that's where maybe we stop seeing that U-shaped trajectory quite as clearly. Um, and so I, I mean, this discussion is still going on, uh, but then this, paper that I was looking at, it was exploring data from, I think it was 20 different countries. Um, and what they found is that there really was this slow increase in life satisfaction throughout adulthood. And it wasn't until uh, advanced older adulthood getting into 80s that then they saw uh, either stability with life satisfaction or a subtle decline than in life satisfaction. The drawback though, with this particular uh, paper and study was that it really, it focused only on adults aged 50 and up. So there weren't any data to look at anybody younger than 50. Um, so that's, you know, unfortunate. So I was then looking at some, some other uh, articles, trying to find some recent articles and it, it also, I mean, there were some differences, again, looking at which control variables were included uh, and longitudinal versus cross-sectional data. But in general, it was showing a bit more of um, stability. There was some change, especially throughout 
um, like early adulthood and then middle adulthood, and then you could see it slightly inclines or increase some and then decline. So I think it really depends on what the exact model is that's being tested. Um, but overall for adulthood, it seems as though really we are having this increase um, in life satisfaction uh, from middle adulthood on uh, with you know, either that stability or then slight decline as we're getting much older into our 80s and 90s. So I think that's extremely exciting. Uh, and to hopefully, you know, emphasize that, especially with these stereotypes that aging adults are grumpy or older adults are grumpy or um, just these more negative uh, affective states. Yeah, it be, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to ask you to answer this question, but because that because who knows, it, it might be too big, but it, maybe for a future episode, it is really interesting to think about sort of what are the what are the intentional things that human beings can do to predict that kind of happiness as they age? Like, what are the what are the choices you can make along the way to to get to a place where you you sort of maximize that potential later on? We mm -hmm. we talk all the time about retirement planning and the need to make good financial decisions to set yourself up for uh, success. What are the what are the lifestyle choices you need to make to set yourself up for uh, for emotional success? Um, right. That's really that's really interesting. Um, it, you know, one of, as you were talking there, one of the things I was thinking is about how you know it, you, you something you said really jumped out at me. It was the you know thinking about cross sectional versus longitudinal because because being it, it feels to me and maybe I'm incorrect, but being elderly has changed considerably in that, in the sense that, I mean, health outcomes are different now than they were 10, 20 years ago. Um, whether or not you live close to your children is different now than it was 10 or 20 years ago, that all of these um, factors seem to influence, uh, that, that could potentially influence life satisfaction that are really hard to predict. I mean, that it's hard to predict what that's going to be like when, when, I am, you know, an older adult instead of just an old one. Um, and, and so on. Um, Georgina, I want to tackle some, I want to ask some of these questions or at least kind of run through these questions, but do you have anything first? Nope. Okay. Um, you go. So I feel like we answered this already. Do we get grumpier as we get older? Uh, I think, I feel like we answered that one. Um, this was something that got me, I, I was wondering, I don't know if you'll have an answer to it, but about adults feeling excited and odd uh, and why they don't seem to feel as excited and odd as kids, um, uh, why that doesn't show. Do you have thoughts on that? It's kind of a tough one, but. Yeah, I thought that was interesting uh, when I read that. And, you know, I hadn't really considered that before, um, mm. but something that I read that that stemmed from Carsonson's work um, was really this idea that as adults are aging, they, they're focusing more on those positive things. Um, they're becoming more emotionally balanced and stable. And so maybe it is because of that balance and that emotional stability that they're not getting too focused on those negative aspects, but maybe by the same token, they're also not getting as, um, overly like positive uh, or feeling 
overly emotional in the positive way either. So there really is just this level of balance. Um, I don't, I'm not sure, uh, but that would be one way that I would, or that it struck me um, and what I thought about in regards to it. So I don't, I don't know if you guys have thoughts on yeah. that. I, mean, yeah. I was teaching about awe in one of my classes the other day, and we were talking about how many uh, awe moments happen in nature. And I think we also know um, that older adults spend far less time out in nature for many reasons, um, you know, especially uh, older, uh, like in their 80s and, and 90s, uh, spend less time in nature. And so maybe they don't have access to uh, awe-inspiring environments. And I thought that was a really interesting thought that one of my students shared in class. You know, I was wondering something similar in it is whether or not maybe there is still a lot of awe there in older adulthood, but just what awes you might be different. Um, that, you know, I, I imagine seeing like a waterfall at you know that and, and going to like Niagara Falls or something like that 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 might be something that sort of wows me now in ways that it wouldn't have wowed me when I was five you know that I mm -hmm. wouldn't have necessarily grasped what a huge deal that is or maybe you know uh, maybe another better example is like sort of technological accomplishments that like what it would yeah. how amazed I am to see some achievements like some human achievements now because I understand how difficult they are in ways I didn't when I was a kid um you know and so maybe sort of what it, what you find wowing as an adult is just different than it used to be yeah hmm. yeah I think that's really interesting to think about and I actually this just made me remember something so when I was in grad school my mentor she when I was leaving she was starting to think about a project of using VR with I think it was nature scenes and then like um, architecture and to bring in adults and to try to measure awe um, and, and I think maybe also using students to to look at maybe differences between Brian kind of what you were saying what was wowing to them looking at um, you know these same scenes but I I don't actually know what then came of that so I should check it um, to see, but I, I kind of forgotten about that because it was, you know, I was leaving or I'd already left and that was on the table. But I think that's really cool to, to think about because it, it makes sense that there could very well be different things that interest people based on your age, well, along it, with other things. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, there's some of its emotional maturity and your ability to sort of put yourself in someone else's shoes. Some of it's just an understanding of the the challenges. I mean, I you know, I saw the other day some sprinter who is like an octogenarian sprinter who set the record for uh, for whatever distance it was, and it. I mean, it's the kind of thing that when you're a kid, you might look at and say, oh, that's just a person running sort of slow around a track. But when you're when you're older and you understand what an extraordinary accomplishment that is, or like you kind of have a sense for I mean, the fact that I hurt myself reading is, a you know, helps you helps you realize that it's amazing what that person is able to do. And so that appreciation is different. 
think so that's I, a great I, example. Yeah. So I, I have one uh, one last question. And honestly, I don't know if any of us are going to know the answer, but I want to throw it out just for, for kicks. And that is um, people saying it seems to them that anxiety is goes up, that they feel um, more anxious. Do we have any data on whether or not anxiety is uh, like sort of increases over um, uh, as we age? Um, I'm trying to see. So I've seen that question and I wanted to try to pull something up. Um, so all I have is, I mean, looking at uh, NIH, so National Institute of Health, um, looking at the prevalence of any anxiety disorder among adults, this says that an estimated 19.1% of U.S. adults had any anxiety disorder in the past year. Um, but then looking at the age breakdown, because that's what interested in, uh, it really looks like the the rate at which uh, different age groups are having anxiety tends to decline. So as people are getting older, um, I I don't know if it's they're less likely to have anxiety. It could be that it's not being reported. Um, so I don't entirely know that. But just looking at the data, the rates decline from. Um, early adulthood to middle age, slightly, and then even more so to, to older adulthood. But I don't know enough about yeah. that area to speak right. too much about, you know, but, if if that's an accurate representation. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Again, I think, again, we might end up with some some cohort effects too that might drive like you said under reporting and things like that mm -hmm. that could drive some of that but that is still that is fascinating none, nonetheless so mm -hmm. g before we finish up do you have any last questions i just have begun to wonder as we're talking uh what different generations think of as older adults like uh -huh. when they were asking these questions on social media i i wonder if they're asking about me <laughs> <laughs> Like, am I the older adult in question? Or are they thinking about their great-grandparents who right. are in their 90s? And I don't know the answer to that, but it's interesting to imagine how those stereotypes might change mm -hmm. as the definitions or perspectives of different generations uh, on what makes an older adult. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right. Well, and I can tell you, even within the literature, different ages are used for middle adulthood, older adulthood. So, you know, generally I would say like 65 and above is oftentimes used for older adults, but that varies. I've seen mm -hmm. people use 60 um, as the cutoff between middle age and, and older adult, but I've also seen it be higher. So it, it can really vary too, which is another point to consider of, okay, well, we're talking about middle aged older adults in this study, but what are the actual ages? Right. Um, so yeah, that's another thing where hmm. I continue to see that too. Abby, this has been fascinating. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to uh, to talk with us today. Um, do you have any final thoughts before you before we finish up? No, thank you for, for having me on. I, I mean, I'm biased, but I think this is really interesting, um, especially since we do see these age stereotypes really permeating all throughout our society, whereas we see these positive things um, right. or encouraging things from the literature, from these research findings that um, older adults are more positive and that happiness is, is 
um, generally pretty high. So I think it's it's great to be able to chat about these things. So thank you. Yeah. This is, you're right. I mean, this is something when I talk about it in my psych of emotion class, which is we don't spend very much time on it, but it's one of those things that I think students are really surprised by. Um, it's not what they necessarily expect. And I think it's because of a lot of those stereotypes you you were talking about. So, all right. So everybody make sure to check out at Psych and Stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's a good place to get updates on shows and things like that. You can follow me on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, LinkedIn, probably other places too, at Anger Professor, um, YouTube, uh, at Anger Professor. Um, Georgina, where can people find you? They can find me on many of those places, including LinkedIn, which I never even thought to mention <laughs> ever, um, at G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. I am seeing so much more LinkedIn usage in the last month than I ever have before. I don't know what's happening with LinkedIn, but it seems to be having a moment. So yeah. congrats, LinkedIn. <laughs> you still have a MySpace page that people can talk about, Georgina? <laughs> that... yeah, yeah, not that I'm going to share. Wow. All right. Thank you very much, everybody. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. The executive producer is me, Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Rachel Scray. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick, and our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlice. Special thanks to our guests today, Abby Nearcorn Bailey. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dengis. Keep being amazing. Mm-hmm.